leaders to get in, in touch with. Just before we get into the message, I also, uh, on a personal note, I want to thank everyone who's been praying for uh, myself, for our family. Uh, we have just received such uh, generosity and kindness from many of you. We want to thank you. Also feel very carried along by your prayers. And uh, I made the mistake this morning of uh, opening a text that uh, Emily sent. Uh, of course, they're in Brazil. They're not going to be making it back. And Emily sent a text that uh, the boys are going to be reading at the memorial service tomorrow. And then I, I got to the office and I opened my email this morning and I, I made a mistake again of opening an email from my brother and his part of the eulogy. And so, uh, so if I'm a little disengaged this morning, it's probably because I'm already in Kenora. But um, I couldn't, couldn't help but think of it this morning on the way here. I think I've told you before that the old truck that I drive that's 25 years old uh, same age as our daughter. It's um, it's my dad's old truck, and um, it, it's funny because a few weeks back it just was falling apart. The tailgate fell off on the Trans Canada, and <laughs> Kevin bored it, and the mirror fell off the side for no reason. And this morning the the blinker left blinker stopped working, <laughs> and I it just seems like a parable of my dad's uh, existence. And I think we're going to lay that to rest uh, after my dad's laid to rest. But God has been so good to us, and my dad went very peacefully. Uh, it's, a, it's a blessing to hear of some of you that are going to be traveling tomorrow to Kenora. Uh, but uh, you can know that God has definitely been answering your prayer, and God has been so good to our family. So thank you. There's nothing, um, <clears throat> there's nothing like a death of a, of a significant loved one to sharpen the focus of your life. And uh, for me, this morning sermon, though it is very irregular because Doug and I are tag-teaming it, and it's going to sound a little bit too much like a seminar, which we apologize for, but the theme and the content of which we are about to speak of is absolutely critical. And it is all about why it is that we exist. And we're going to try in the next 30, 40 minutes to try and address the, the question how do we at White Ridge Baptist Church, how do we approach making disciples of Jesus Christ in our church? Because that's really the most important thing. I, I, the reason we exist as individuals, the reason we exist as a church is that there might be more worshipers of Jesus Christ, Amen. more followers of Jesus Christ on earth. And so we want to be all about that. And uh, when we read the last words of Jesus, the great commandment or the great commission that he left us is go and make disciples. That's what we're called to do. Everything else is commentary. Go and make disciples. And that's the what of what we're called to do. The how of what we're called to do, the how of doing it, comes earlier in Jesus' ministry when he gives us this wonderful gift. He says, Everything that you need to know about my kingdom can be summed up in two commands. The first and greatest is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so that's the how. How do we make disciples? We do it by loving the Lord first of all and loving everyone else in our lives. Now that's all about relationships, friends. If you hear anything else in those two commandments, you've got to hear relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with everyone else that is in your life. 
And so we have defined our church as is all about relationships. And our purpose statement says it clearly, that we are all about nurturing followers of Jesus Christ through healthy relationships. We've identified five relationships that we see that done in. Number one is our relationship with God in Jesus Christ. Number two is our relationships in our families. Number three is our relationships in the church family. Number four is our relationship with neighbors and where we live. And number five is cross-cultural relationships, it, it, whether it's in Winnipeg or whether it's overseas on a mission trip. Those are the relationships that define where we believe God's called us to be intentional about nurturing followers of Jesus Christ. Over the last years, we've said it's very important for us to understand that we need to be intentional in discipleship. We need to, to know that there's a process for us that when we're young in our faith and we're maturing in our faith, what does that look like? And uh, you've been hearing the word life path over the last year or two, and that's the name that we've given to all the relationally-based discipleship initiatives in our church. And uh, what we want, one of the key verses for that would be Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways and he will direct your paths. Discipleship is all about learning what it means to truly trust God, truly rely on him. And then in every way, think about him in our activities and rely on his direction. We make our plans, but God directs our paths. And so with that, we have to ask ourselves, well, what is it that a follower of Christ looks like? Right? We know that it's about relationships. We know that Christ is all the core. But for, what does it look like for me to be a follower of Christ? First uh, Peter 2.2 2 says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Paul, many times in his writings, talks us and urges us to say, Be mature in your faith. Don't get stuck in childhood. Childhood is beautiful, but mature in your faith. And so with that, we've decided that one of the ways that we can identify qualities of a follower of Christ is to say, this is what a follower looks like in infancy. And infancy is beautiful. But we're meant to grow into maturity in God's timing with the Spirit's enabling. And the only thing that's not beautiful in that path is if we hit immaturity. Right? Those are the things we need to avoid. But we need to know infancy is beautiful. We celebrate that. We look forward to that. And the first thing, if someone is to ask you, what is a follower of Christ? The first word that comes out of our mind, or the, out of our mouth, is to say Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's about his sufficiency. It's about his grace. It's about what he has done for us and will continue to do in us as we surrender to him as we, as we give him our sins to be forgiven and rely on the Holy Spirit's empowering. The hope we have is that when we come to faith and we're infants, we're babes in Christ, we get to know more and more about who Christ is. The blessing we have in maturity is that God says we can become like him. We grow into Christ's likeness. So that's a hugely important aspect of what it means to be a follower. And everything else you hear today flows from that reality. It's grounded in that reality. And if we get our eyes off of ever it being us developing these things, we're going the wrong way. It's all about Christ. The first area we want to describe as well is that when God in Christ begins to transform, when we, as we're moving from infancy and toward maturity, the place that he starts is always in our character. And the word that the Bible uses, 2 Corinthians 3.18, Romans 12.2, there's various passages where this Greek word metamorphe is used. And the word metamorphosis, of course, is all about transformation or change. 
And it's a, it's a distinct kind of change that maturing takes place beginning in the inside and moving out. In other words, it's not conformity. It's not saying behavior modification on the outside, do this outwardly, but the heart stays the same. Rather, God changes the character from the inside out. And the goal, of course, is that in our character, we move toward integrity. And integrity means that our character is the same whether we're with one kind of people or another kind of people. We're the kind of people that we're the same whether we're being watched or not, whether we're one group or another group. Integrity means this is what Jesus is authentically doing in me and he's transforming me. And the thing that's amazing about the Christian life is that the Holy Spirit comes and takes residency in you as a being and he points out the areas of character that need to change. And all you need to do is respond and be submissive and humble and soft-hearted so that you say, yeah, Lord, I see it. I see that you've used that relationship to show a character flaw in me. I'm going to respond obediently and take this to you. And so God begins with character, moves us toward more and more integrity. As God changes our character by his enabling, our love for him just starts to increase. And the natural outflow of that is that that love goes to others. One of the beautiful things about being an infant in Christ is that we realize that now we not only have friends, we are invited into, we have entered into a family of believers. I now have brothers and sisters in Christ who are ecstatic to see that I have entered into the family. And we have new fellowship. And we understand more and more what it means that when the Bible says that the wise walk with the wise or that bad company corrupts good character. And we are very intentional in how we use our time to bless others, to exhort them, and to encourage others who don't yet know Christ to come to know him. But the maturity factor from enjoying the fellowship of a family of believers is to move into what's called koinonia in scripture. The way we've defined that is intimate participation in Christ-centered fellowship. Long phrase, intimate participation in Christ-centered fellowship. These are those probably few chosen few who speak into your life, who are directly God's grace to you to help pinpoint maybe blind spots, to encourage you in strengths. These are the people that you are really doing life together with. And that is part of the maturity, is that you see those types of relationships developing as well. Another area of maturity shows up when we see our lives become otherly oriented. And uh, Jesus, it is said, he said of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, Matthew 20, 28, but to serve and to give his life. A sign of infancy, what's a sign of a baby? Well, you've got to serve that baby. That baby cannot serve him or herself. So a sign of infancy is that you're always serving that person. And so a sign of infancy is if you come to church or you're part of a fellowship and you just figure that, well, the staff and the programs and everything else is for me. It serves me. And you don't come thinking that I'm now to grow into maturity called to serve the needs of others. And so that's one of the signs of maturity. You, you move from this idea of thinking that service is a, a one hour a week thing that you might do for someone else, and it becomes a lifestyle. It becomes the way you live. You live because there's joy in serving others' needs. Right now, over the summer, the, the board of our church and the staff have read a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together. And uh, Bonhoeffer says this. He says that the first service that we owe to each other in the fellowship. This is the first thing you owe to the people sitting around you. The first thing we owe to them is to listen to them. Interesting. To listen to them. And the second thing he says, 
is that of active helpfulness. You see, active helpfulness, he goes on to explain, is when you set aside your agenda and your schedule and what you think is important for the coming week and you take upon yourself somebody else's needs and you serve their agenda and their needs. And so that's what we're called to do. We see maturity as we get less self-absorbed and more absorbed in the needs of those around us. Another quality is that of gratitude. When we first come to Christ, we're thankful for many things, especially the forgiveness of our sins and the restored relationship that we have with God. That's core, right? The gratitude. But we, we recognize that God listens to our prayers and answers. Them. We have the assurance of our salvation. We have the hope of heaven. We see relationships being restored. These are all things that we're grateful for. And as we mature, we realize more and more that maturity results in praise of our entire life because everything we have in our life that is good is from our God. And as we grow in our relationship, we realize that as much as grace was needed to enter into a relationship with Christ, much more grace is needed to live in Christ. And I become aware that every time I turn my eyes from my Savior, I turn to sin. Oh, so easily I wander, right, as the hymn would say. But with God's grace... I can praise him all the time and I can say sin no longer defines me, sin no longer holds me, and I'm not held captive by that. And as I look in the world, we can start seeing God's hand at work and the way that he allows us to be involved in his mission. Isn't that a wonderful thing of praise? That it's not just about me receiving, it's about God using me to bless, as we're meant to call to bless all nations. And the last continuum that we want to describe in terms of what a maturing disciple of Jesus Christ looks like is you move from witness to fruitfulness. And what we mean by witness is that when you become a new believer, an infant Christian, you just want to talk about your faith. You want to tell everybody about Jesus, which which is natural and good and important. And we ought to continue doing that. But witness moves also into a whole life of fruitfulness. And it's something that the Spirit of God does in you. You don't just do it through your talk. You do it through your walk in every way. So we've talked about what does a follower of Jesus Christ look like. But now it's also important to say, well, how does someone move along that continuum from infancy to maturity? And how do we do that collectively as a church? And so what we were thinking about is, well, what are ways that we can do that that are directive but not dictative? It's not a thing of legalism that you can check off, nope, I don't do this, yes, I do this. These are qualities that are evident in a person's life, and how can we as a church family help foster those things, again, to grow us from infancy towards maturity? So one of my tasks on a weekly basis is to prepare the family meal to preach God's Word. Uh, It was fundamental in the job description that I signed up to three years ago. It's fundamental to my, my ebb and flow of my weekly activities. The the sermon that I preach on Sundays, generally, I'm the one preaching, but the sermon that I preach is the agony and the ecstasy of my week. I want you to know that. It's the agony of my week, but it's also the ecstasy. And and until I get that thing delivered, uh, I compared it in the first service to having a baby every week, but I I got some feedback. don't do that again. So I'm not going to use that this time. (laughs) (laughs) It is a delivery of sorts, isn't it? But preaching comes in all shapes and sizes, doesn't it? Sometimes preaching is after a lectionary in some denominations. Uh, Some preaching in some churches is always a thematic, topical approach and so on. And we think that sometimes that's okay, do a topical approach. 
But we believe that God's word has give, been given to us in a certain form, and we need to convey and study and preach it in the same form it was given to us in. So how was it given to us? It was given to us in 66 books. Okay? So when we preach, we want to preach through books of the Bible. And next week we'll be jumping into the Gospel of Mark. You've been hearing about that for some time. Next week we'll start into Mark chapter 1 verse 1. And we're going to go through various passages all year long. We're going to be encouraging you to study the Gospel of Mark with us. But that is my goal is to, to invest in deeply what God's Word is saying by the Holy Spirit, come out with a message that is going to convey to all of us God's leading and will for our lives for the purpose of, of intentional maturity. Someone has said that sermonettes make Christianettes. And I don't want to be about that. I want to go deep in the Word with you as much as we can. And one of the reasons we're planning some of the things we're planning is because we think there's ways of going deeper together. As important as it is to listen to the Word of God every week, the Bible says do your best to present yourself towards God as a workman who correctly handles the Word of Truth. So it's very important that we also get into studying the Word of God. So combined with every message that you hear online, there will be the message online, there will be four documents that are part of a sermon-based studies. Now they're called sermon-based studies, but we want to make clear that it's not based on studying the message, the words that Terry or whoever else preached spoke. It's based on the text that the message was on. So when you get this binder, if you're wanting to, we, what we've also done is instead of just doing it online, we thought we'd print it off to make it easier for those of you who just don't want to go online every week or less expensive by printing it off altogether. Uh, you, you can go through a study of the passages that you've heard on Sunday morning. And there's four documents that are included in this binder. And the primary document will have a copy of the passage that has the, uh, in the HCSB, which is the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and the NIV. And then followed by that, it will have notes from these three study Bibles, the Apologetic Study Bible, the HCSB Study Bible, and the Life Application Study Bible. And just so you know, we have legal permission to do this. I've mentioned that before. That was important for us. Uh, but also sometimes, sometimes the passages are longer, sometimes they're short. And when they're shorter passages, we've also added some commentary notes as well. The second document has what's called the harmony of the Gospels because what's said in Mark is often said in Matthew, Luke, or John as well. So this uh, document compares them so that you can see, well, why is it that Mark used it this way? Or he didn't have the same kind of information as Matthew had. Like, why, why are these things different? And we hope that would be a blessing to you. The third document that's included in this binder are a list of questions that you can use to help stimulate your study and hopefully your discussion with other people. But those questions are not meant for you to work through all or to stick with. They're just meant to help you as a springboard. Make up your own questions, whatever it is, but be inquisitive about the Word of God and do that together with other people. The fourth document's not in the binder, but it is online, and that, those are cross-references. So say you were reading a passage and you were saying, wow, this is, this is interesting. I wonder what else the Bible has to say about this. Well, that cross-reference document would point to other areas of Scripture that deal with that same topic. So today, if you want the binder and the notes are on sale for $15, and if you just want the notes only, you can order those. We'll put them in your mail folder. Uh, that's $10, and all of this is free online week by week as the sermons are preached. And we're also planning to have an insert for every week for you to take notes on, and we're, we'll get into that right now. So why is it that we believe sermon-based studies are useful? And one of the first reasons we want to tell you is because it helps you listen. 
If you know that in your family devotions you're studying the Gospel of Mark and you're thinking about the sermon that week or in your private time or in a small group, if you know that, when you come to Sunday morning, it'll help you listen and listening better will help you retain. Secondly, it also, uh, taking notes is an imp important part of it. As Doug said, we're going to be a weekly handout so you can take notes during the sermon. And that'll help you pay attention, help you retain, help you think through how does this apply to my life. Another thing is the study helps that Doug has talked about. This will always help you get deeper into the scripture and apply what God's word is teaching. And then finally, the discussion with others. Again, whether it's one other person or whether it's a, a group of 10 or so, it's up to you. But that, that discussion, that interaction is going to sharpen you and deepen you in the word. So in other words, a sermon-based study outside of Sunday morning takes the Sunday morning event and turns it into an investment that's going to pay, have, have more payback in our spiritual maturity. Because we retain only a small portion of what we listen to, but we retain far more and apply far more of what we've listened to, studied, read, wrote about, talked with others about, and then God's Word begins to permeate and integrate into our lives. So as we spend time in God's Word and He starts refining our character, helping us understand our identity in Him, it does impact our relationships. And one of the things, as you know in our church, is we very much value healthy relationships. And we're doing, uh, our, our aim is to create as many environments as we can where Christ-honoring environments can be established and friendships can begin to form or further mature. And uh, so some of the ways you've seen that over the last two years, for example, would be our family meal and equipping seminars, where the first hour is just having a meal together, the second hour, children ages 10 or younger are cared for, while, while the rest come up to, to have a short talk about uh, a, a topic of interest for our faith, and then discussion around groups. And so we hope that's helpful. Uh, we also have what are called life path seminars, which are usually three nights long, once a week for three weeks, that usually deal with something that will help us explain our faith better, understand our, our relationship with God better, so that we can relay that more clearly to our friends and our family. Uh, but the thing that we're doing mainly as our initiative for this fall is what's called life groups. And uh, many of you, as you came in, you would have maybe been uh, received a brochure along with your uh, bulletin. And so we're not going to go through the information in the brochure. Uh, you can go through that yourself. Uh, but we do want to say that we know that there are some questions and there will be throughout the next little while. Uh, but our, our intent is to try to answer every question as clearly as we can and to be sensitive to uh, the comments and suggestions that are made. A lot of that has already been addressed in what's called the Life Group Facilitator's Guide. And when you go to the table to get a binder, you can also feel free to take one of these guides to, to help you hear more clearly what we're meaning by life groups. And right now we just want to talk about three questions that we know are, uh, have been asked or are paramount and we want to just uh, address those with you. So some of you have been asking about small group ministry and what's going to be happening this fall. And one of the first questions we want to address is how does this transition impact small groups? How does going to life groups impact small groups? And what I want to say to start with is that if you've been part of, in it, within our church umbrella, if you've been part of a small group, a home group, a Bible study, and it has been healthy and effective in helping you mature, we want to say, way to go, continue on. Keep going, but know that, that we're asking you to embrace the vision and values of life groups. You will not hear us talk about small groups anymore. You will hear us talk about life groups. You will hear us teach on and remind you of the values of life groups, okay? We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. 
And so if, if you get together with your group, like our group that I'm part of is getting together this week, and then you take a look at the values of life groups, and you say, yeah, we're kind of doing most of that already, and we embrace that, and we want to do that now, then you carry on as a group, okay? So we're encouraging all groups to study the Gospel of Mark with us this year. Okay? Now, obviously, there's some groups that are unique. There's, there's maybe a marriage group that gets together, and they're going to be studying marriage and so on. Well, that's, that's different. That's fine. Still a life group, just not tracking with us in the Gospel of Mark. That's fine. But we want to encourage you to know that, that uh, there's not going to be some kind of a kickoff Sunday of small group ministry and so on. We're, we're going to be hopefully going right into this season now. Many groups will continue on, and we're going to be creating more opportunities for new groups to start. Another question that's come up is the name life groups. Does that mean that we need to be together for life? No, the answer is very clearly no for that. I'm just going to read you an excerpt from the facilitator's guide. Uh, so how long do life groups stay together as long as is healthy? Life group members need to be sensitive to God's leading in this area. It may be that the Holy Spirit leads you to invest in deepening a few close friendships over a period of years. At some point, he may lead you to open yourself up to new relationships and ask you to initiate and invite new people into a group that are just beginning to get to know you. I didn't read that exactly. <laughs> the key point to consider is whether or not your current life group is serving its purpose in maturing you as friends into Christ-likeness. If you can answer that positively, chances are you should remain together. If not, talk about that openly with your life group members and consider a healthy conclusion to your life group experience with each other. It's also possible that certain members will lead you to initiate or join a different life group while the majority of your members renew their covenant with each other and continue a life group on for another season. Key to that is life groups are dynamic and they will change and you, we really need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. The third question that uh, we want to address is what is the purpose of a seasonal covenant? We use the word seasonal because uh, we want to understand exactly the seasons of time that we go through. And, and again, if you get intimidated by the word covenant, you can just call it an agreement if you want. Basically, we're saying that we want to think in terms of blocks of time. Right now, this coming week, as I talk to our small group, I'm going to be talking about from now until Christmas. And we're going to be talking about this season of time. And a covenant is that opportunity to just to agree together on the essentials of what are the expectations that we have. Essentially, the main purpose of a covenant is to help life groups commit to specific times together that have a specific purpose in mind and helps the life group establish responsibilities for each member. Somebody's hosting. Some, maybe two or three people are, are rotating and facilitating the questions and the discussion. Maybe some schedule for bringing snacks is needed or so on. This is the kind of uh, agreement or covenant that we're talking about. And the establishment of roles is only necessary if it's a larger group. If your group is of three or four people, there's not that need. But the main thing that the covenant does is not talking about the behavior when you're spending your time together. It talks about the commitment that you want to make on the front end together. So what we have is for each season, we'll have three calendars like this. And so you'd see here's the month of October. And underneath it, here are the things that are already planned on the church calendar. There will be that for November as well, usually three months at a time. And you can look at that. And what we're encouraging groups to do is the first time you get together, bring your day timers, whatever you use to organize your life, bring that. And then look at the calendar and talk about what, what dates actually work for us. Maybe every Thursday doesn't work. Maybe what we need to do is out of 10 weeks, pick seven that actually work for us. And then pick those dates and commit to them, put them on our calendar so that we know who's going to be coming that we know that we can rely that we'll be there. And the other thing is to say, and what is the focus of our time going to be? 
We'd primarily suggest that it's sharing and praying and studying God's word together, but at times you'll want to serve together. Sometimes you'll need some social time together or maybe take a life path seminar. But the main thing is that you're intentional in committing your time and the purpose. And we hope that that will be of great help and also be freeing for you. Uh, it doesn't need to be in the evening. You might be working and say, hey, you know what? The best thing for me right now is getting together with two other co-workers over lunch, two other friends, and, doing the, and, and spending that time together as a life group. There's a lot of freedom here, and that's what we want people to know, that our intent here is where it's directive. There's so much freedom in how you go about making a life group. We're going to give you four reasons why we believe seasonal covenants are important. And the first one is that it provides our groups with natural entry and exit points. You might be away in the winter, for example, and you want to commit to a group between now and Christmas, but after that you're going to be exiting and you're not going to be part of it. You're going to be out of the scene. You might be going through a season of time in your life. Uh, you, you know, you might find that, that uh, in time that group is not really helping you grow. Um, there may be various reasons, but entry and exit points are, are allowed in a seasonal covenant when you, when you agree together that we're going to go from now until Christmas and then after that it's, it's another opportunity to decide what to do. The other reason that this is important is that as, as in the ebb and flow of fellowship life, people, new people come to our church. We want to have, have the opportunity for some new people to enter into groups that are beginning in January, perhaps, you know, and those that are also been part of our church for a long time, but never really got integrated into a group. We want to be able to say, well, you know, there are various options, okay? So entry and exit points are important. As already been alluded to, uh, another reason is to help life groups make reasonable commitments to one another. So instead of saying, let's do 10 weeks and follow through on 60% of that, make a reasonable goal right from the beginning. And we, we do hope that it will be every week, that in some way there's relationally based discipleship in your life, uh, but make a reasonable goal with your friends. It also helps us to be able to evaluate the effectiveness of our time together. If you, if you know that after 10 weeks you're going to be stopping and just kind of taking a look, well, how's it going? Is this helpful? You know, are we, are we moving anywhere? Or has this just become a kind of a social club or, or an obligation or something? Well, then we don't need to be worried about it. And so if that expectation is already there that after 10 weeks there's no more obligation there, then it's a natural point to, to exit. But uh, to evaluate and re refine the purpose of your group is an opportunity before you begin again. And that could be, for example, I saw this in Terry's group last year, when you're studying the Word of God and you're studying what, where can we serve, all of a sudden there's, there's new initiatives. And all of a sudden someone says, hey, you know, English conversation circles very much grew from a number of friends talking about how can we serve God together. Yeah. And so maybe God will say for a season, you need to invest more in serving than in studying, however that goes. The final thing to mention is to make time for breaks within the ministry year where church-wide events can be planned, example Christmas or Easter. So right now, if your group would say begin in October, we'd say that the end line for this first part of the covenant would be November, so that the month of, the month of December is open for doing things like the Christmas banquet and concerts, so that we can do church-wide events. We're very much trying to simplify our church calendar where two commitments each week that we'd ask is that you, you commit to coming to church Sunday morning. That you say, this is my church family and we come to worship and study together. The other commitment is hopefully to some form of relationally based discipleship, which we'd encourage would be a life group. And other than that, we're trying to minimize what's on the calendar. And so by having these breaks where we might have three or four weeks, that allows us to do some of these church-wide events that we'd like to do, like meals or going out and doing something fun together as a church family. 
We're back on track with our uh, things that we're doing of intentionality now. So another area of intentionality is, is faith in action, opportunities to serve. We recognize that all kinds of us, all kinds of us have things that are service-oriented in our lives outside of the church, and that's great. But we want to create as many opportunities within our church family as well and through our church family to serve. We have in May, for example, a whole month, Faith in Action. We take one Sunday where we go out and, and serve the community. We have various opportunities throughout the year of serving. This Tuesday night, the English Conversation Circle group that, uh, that our others that signed up for, they're having some training. Uh, because they're getting ready for another period of, in, of English conversation circles. So, so sometimes the service requires some training. We want to be involved in that training so that we can be ready to serve where God leads us. And, um, and so, again, it's all part of, of uh, growing in Christ and part of our intentionality. And helping us grow in the continuum, especially of gratitude towards praise, is worship. We want to be a worshipful church. And every Sunday we come together and we're led in worship through song and through the word. Pastor Kevin has been very clear in saying worship is not just singing, right? One of the things that I've been, I think we've all been blessed with over the last two years specifically are the amount of stories that are told over the pulpit about what Christ has been doing in someone's life or through their life. We want to be a people of Christ-centered stories to others. And we also need to be a people of stewardship. Um, this coming November, I believe it's Saturday, November the 17th, there's a Good Sense uh, budgeting course that will be taught on a, a day. And on the 18th, there's an estate planning course for people if you want that to talk about how can I be a good steward of my finances. But stewardship is the same thing. Like we could say worship is song, fine, uh, uh, stewardship is money. It's so much more than that. Wouldn't, wouldn't we all agree that our time is worth a lot more than our money? How we use our time is of extreme importance and we need to be good stewards of that. And one of the extreme, uh, well, one of the great privileges we have in worship and growing in worship is, is celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And many churches do that in different ways. We've chosen that at least once a month that around this table we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And we will hold that as a high honor and responsibility in our church. The final thing I, we want to mention in, in this whole what we are doing of intentionality to move us toward maturity in our faith in Jesus Christ has to do with mission trips. Next week, I'm very excited about, I'm looking forward to hearing from the six people that we sent to be part of a team that went to Garden Hill in northern Manitoba. And I'm looking forward to hearing three things or four things from them. Number one, I'm looking forward to hearing about how that trip affected their relationship with God. Number two, I'm looking forward to hearing how that trip impacted that community and people for Jesus Christ. Number three, I'm looking forward to hearing how that trip and that experience influenced their relationships with each other. Mm. It's an incredible byproduct of serving the Lord together. I think we could have sent those six women to some place uh, or had, had them involved in a life group for six months and studying the Gospel of Mark for six months. They would not be as close after six months as they were after one week of, of getting together and serving the Lord. I'm also interested very much in hearing how their view of the world has changed and what God wants to call our church into because of that. And so, again, this missions trips, these are part of who we are. We, wanna, we believe that, that we believe in global discipleship. God has something to teach us in our narrower culture from other cultures. And so we want to open our minds to what God is doing in other parts. 
And as was mentioned as well, baptisms, testimonies, these are other ways that we want to be intentional, giving each of us in time various people opportunity to tell their story and to see how Jesus is bearing fruit. I got two people that came to me last week, talked to me about baptism. And we're looking forward this fall to, to those baptisms and hearing their story. This is an opportunity for the church to see the fruit of the kingdom as God grows his kingdom among us. So if people were to ask us, what is your church about? The first thing we'd really want to say is our church is about Jesus Christ. And because of that, we're about nurturing followers of Jesus Christ through healthy relationships. Uh, the things that we're mentioning here are not things that are done for you. They are things that are done with you. We are on a journey together to become more like Christ. And we have that wonderful privilege of encouraging and exhorting each other to live for Jesus Christ. And we definitely can do more together than we can do separate. We have our responsibilities as individuals, but we are called as the body of Christ to live this out together. And we're looking forward to what God has in store in the coming years. I'm going to ask Kevin and the worship team to come. And as they come, um, I want to thank you. Doug and I want to thank you this morning for uh, hearing this uh, rather different kind of sermon. And uh, what I'd like to leave with, with you is this thought, that as you ponder what we've shared with you, we want you to hear in between the lines that you must be taking responsibility for your own maturity, Okay that we want to create as many opportunities and avenues that we can for you to grow in your faith in Jesus, but you must take responsibility for your own maturity. And so we encourage you to pick up some of the literature, read about it, and we encourage you to think about the relationships that God's already placed you in. He's already placed you in some, or He's already put on your radar some new relationships, and He wants you to invest in those. And we just are asking that God would, would grow us up as we nurture followers of Jesus Christ through healthy relationship. Kevin. Would you consider 